Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science inside podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Ted McLyman, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the personal, um, the personal Science Podcast today. Uh, could you maybe introduce yourself uh, and tell us a bit about yourself? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here to begin with. Uh, I live on the other side of the world. I live in the middle of the United States in Tennessee, just south of the city of Nashville. I've been working with people and money my entire life. Uh, I spent 20 some odd years in the United States Marine Corps, the military, as, a, uh, as an officer. And there I just saw my Marines do all kinds of crazy things with money, <laughs> to include myself. And that got me involved with working with money, money behavior initially. And I want to give you an example. Uh, Try to explain why two service members in a room together need two magnificently sized LCD televisions. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. But uh, while on active duty, uh, I ended up t- teaching economics at the United States Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. And I was an aide to the United States Navy, Secretary of the Navy, where I worked with our Congress and, and Senate on budget issues. Uh, when I retired, I became a financial advisor and built two financial planning firms. And through that entire endeavor, what I've learned is people just aren't inherently good with money. Mm-hmm. The secret isn't money. It's between the ears. And that's probably what we're going to talk about tonight. We definitely are going to talk a lot more about that tonight. Um, So I guess you've already uh, kind of defined the topic, but just to kind of get it into a bit more clear terms, um, what does financial security mean to you? Ah, good question. And, And that's very subjective and it's very personal. To me, financial security is peace of mind in your chosen lifestyle. Right. That's a very, very, a very good way to put it. Yeah. And it's emotional. It's an emotional feeling. I know people with a lot of money that are not happy. I know people that much or they're doing magnificently. Mm-hmm. So it's a personal, personal uh, point of view. It changes from culture to culture. It changes demographically. It changes during age. But fundamentally what I have found, it's peace of mind. Peace of mind. Yeah. I think people just don't realize the emotional strain that like not being financially secure can put on you. Right. Especially right. people who are on either end of the spectrum. <laughs> yes, both extremes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, and it's becoming much more complex than it was a few years ago. Um, I mean, I've written three books books on the subject. I, I now have a couple of companies and we work on these, we work on the behavioral element of money. And what we're trying to make people understand is the conventional wisdom about money is wrong. It's not about money. It's usually something much more significant than that. Money is a means to an end. And 
what we've learned in my what I've learned in my research and the writings in 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 with our company is that the conventional wisdom is wealth is nothing more than a constant accumulation of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, what it leaves out is the emotional tie. It leaves out the relevance, and it makes it sound very simple, like it's nothing more than an engineering problem. Well, yeah. how does that work out for most mm-hmm. people? Not well. <laughs> Well, we definitely get into uh, the details of all of that in a little bit. Uh, but okay. first, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty, let's get to know you um, okay. a little bit. I'm going to ask you some really quick questions uh, yes. or throw, throw some words and phrases out at you. And you just have to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Great. Cool. Um, so the first one is book. Books. Well, I'm very biased. It's my book. <laughs> Discover Your Money. <laughs> no, probably the most important book I've read in a while is, is thinking fast, thinking slow by Kahneman. It's a, it's a foundational book in behavioral finance. That's definitely, do you want to tell us more about your book as well? Well, my book is, uh, uh, when I write, I, I wrote my first book for my clients who I knew were having some problems and it wasn't the money. It was the behavioral piece. I learned very early that my job was not to manage money. It was to manage behavior, to get to know my clients, to help them make and take better decisions. So my book, Discover Your Money Temperament, A Common Sense Guide to Financial Security, is, is not about money. It's based on short vignettes and stories about shopping and at work. And it talks about you, it puts you into the book and challenges you on how you make money choices. Mm-hmm. And then in the beginning, I talk about why people are not very good with money. And at the end, I have what I call the money behavior system, which is a solution to make it better. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and I'm, I suspect we're going to talk a lot about how behavior expects, uh, expects, um, reflects, uh, financial, um, practices later on. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. <laughs> the next one is movie. Movies. Um, being kind of a optimistic, romantic, believe it or not, the impossible dream. I just, for thee, that just resonates with me every time I hear it. I like the play. I like the movie, but you know, there are days I feel like Don Quixote. There are other days I feel like his, 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 his partner chasing windmills. <laughs> yeah. But bottom line, if you have the ideal, you have the vision, you know, and you keep working towards it, generally it's going to work. All right. What about podcast? Podcast. Um, I, I tend to run around the the area of behavior. I like behavioral podcasts. Uh, Freakonomics is one I particularly like. That they, since I've got a background in economics, I've taught economics traditionally. They they make it very friendly. They always have a, a unique twist. They teach you something. You go, huh? That's common sense. I never looked at it that way, mm. and I just think it's really good insight. Yeah, Freakonomics is definitely a good one. I listened to a few episodes from that as well. Um, what about famous role model? Oh, oh, you'll love this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Ancient guys, Marcus Aurelius. Believe Ooh. it or not. Okay. Oh tell yeah. Me more. The, the, the Roman emperor, uh, Stoic philosopher. Right. Uh, his, yeah. His uh, his approach just codifies a lot of things for me. And uh, I mean, if you're really hardcore, you read it in Latin, but um, that's a whole different story. But just, <laughs> just, just the mindset, um, I tend to go back more to the classics as to 
uh, and part of it is there's a there's a thread through humanity that you know we kind of think now you know 2022 that we're inventing this stuff and we're facing new problems. No, not really. Mm. Humanity's been around for a while, and at, at the at the most basic level, we're still dealing with a lot of the same issues. That what has changed mostly is technology. Yeah, I feel like almost everything, I guess, quote unquote, new that happens to us is just history repeating itself oh, in yeah. some way, shape, or form. And it's just happening faster and it's more complicated. Mm, for sure. <laughs> um, and last one, a course you have completed. A course I've completed. Um, I'll go back to my professional work. Uh, I've just completed another course on behavioral economics. But uh, it, <laughs> the reason I said Latin, for some reason, uh, at the beginning of the year, I just started to brush up on Latin. So I started taking some Latin courses for the heck of it. So mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. But uh, I don't know. That's one of those crazy goals you you make, you know, late yeah. at night, one night, and you go, hey, why not? How hard can I it be? I, too, would love to learn Latin. I've always <laughs> wanted to learn the language. Um, I used to study archaeology. So it's like a big deal. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. It's well, it's, it's, it's a foundational element for the romance languages and Mm -hmm. anybody that are of of pretty much the, the Western European cultures are influenced by Latin and everything we do. Yeah. And I feel like all those, I guess, original texts that have kind of filtered down to us um, today in different ways and shapes and forms, I just really want to read them in their original language and See yeah, how it and that was, was part of the motivation yeah. with my buddy Marcus, you know. You right. See yeah. what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I think we've got to know you quite a bit there. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, we might move on now to uh, the meat of um, our podcast, which yes, is <laughs> which is um, about financial security, but I guess starting a bit more broadly. Um, our podcast is about personal development. So how would you right. define that. Um, I, this is, I love the topic of your podcast because in our culture, and I including every English speaking culture that was affiliated with the UK in one form or another, uh, we have a mindset with money that is fairly uniform and it's based on the rational man concept or woman concept that we are rational decision takers, given the proper information, we will in fact make the right decision, particularly with our money. And what I found, not only my personal life, but my professional life, it doesn't work that way. So when we're talking about the journey of of discovery with regard to money, money money and security is is self-actuation. It's an emotional journey. And once you bring that together, you will have that level that you're comfortable. Now, that assumes a significant amount of personal growth. Yeah. I don't know where it's where money fits in in the educational system, but in the in the United States, we're abysmal when it comes to money. We mm-hmm. it's not a priority. We generally don't teach it. The United States ranks number 15 in modern countries mm-hmm. on financial literacy. And when we teach financial literacy, it's all about formulas and process and it's linear and it's boring and it's not suited for most people. And I, and, you know, and I'm trained that way. I've got an undergraduate degree in, in 
in psychology and finance and economics. I got a, a master's degree in management and another one in human performance. And, and all of that is fairly scientific and analytical stuff. But bottom line is when you're talking about human development, human growth, you have to start with we're human and yeah. we're going to do human things. And you have to address that up front. But with money, we tend to put money in a completely different box. Yep. And I find it fascinating that that we have coaches, we have personal development programs in almost every other aspect of our life except money. Yeah. And that's absolutely. that's where I got involved. I want to fill that void. If you think about money and money and personal development, the way I look at this is number one, you've got to accept the fact that you don't go through some kind of metamorphosis just because you pull out money or your credit card or your debit card and become something different. You're not all of a sudden, you know, that, you, you know, a PhD in economics doing cost benefit analysis. No, you're still a human and you're going to do yeah. human stuff with your money. So personal development, and this is what we're doing with the new company we're forming called Dream Smart Academy. Is, is we started looking at all the elements of growth and the coaching uh, relationships, leadership, money, and we came to a couple of conclusions. Number one, and I write about this in my book, first, our biology gets in the way. And what do I mean by that? We're human. Our brains were designed to keep us alive and pass on our genes. They're not real good at advanced technology, money, uh, modern society. So we've got this brain that's been around eons. Money is a modern construct. It's only been around for a couple thousand years. So we're not naturally wired to do a lot of the things that we're expected to do in a modern society. So this could be on everything from relationships to housing to money. The other thing that I look at when I'm talking about the personal development is you have to realize that there, everything is interrelated in ways that we we don't think about because it happens instantaneously. I mean, what we're doing right now, we're talking across hundreds of miles and kilometers yeah, over electron somethings. And I can see you and I can hear you. And, we're, we're, and our brains are looking at this and we're, it's making decisions with billions of bits of information. And the end result is, I trust you, I like you, and I think you've got a cool program. And we've met for 15 minutes. <laughs> we've never met physically, mm. but that's because we're human and that's the way our brains work. So the way we start and the way we look at this is you have to benchmark who you are personally. And we don't do that. Yeah. We generally just kind of muddle through life and it'll work out and go with a group. So I look at four things when we're talking about personal development. First, it's our biology. We're all unique. Mm -hmm. The It's a myth, and it goes back to 17th century uh, enlightenment philosophy, John Locke, if you will, you know, yeah. the blank slate, that we're all a blank slate and, and we can manipulate you and you're malleable and all that. Well, not so much. Um, modern science has determined that what drives us is our DNA, our chromosomes, at the molecular level has a significant impact on who we are. 
and we know with studies with twins and and the impact of external forces, environment and things like that do impact behavior. So the first thing is benchmark who you are mm-hmm. and accept it because there are things that make you who you are that are not going to change. And if you try to change them, it's going to make you very frustrated. Yeah. The next piece is your belief set. Your belief set is well-established or it's starting to be well-established by about age three. By age seven, you've got a pretty good grasp of the basics of the world. And by mid-adolescence, your basic belief set is well-formulated. This is particularly important with money because your relationship with money is you understand the concepts of p- between three to five. By seven, you definitely understand the concept, the risk reward thing. And by mid adolescence, you've got a very, very distinct picture of your relationship with money. Yeah. And believe it or not, it's not always your family, but your peer group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How you talk, how you dress, what you listen to, where you live. Then the next piece is culture. Culture is without a doubt one of the most significant elements to personal development. And we often forget that. This becomes much more significant because of the technology. My grandparents, if they left within a few miles or kilometers for where they were born, it was probably to go into the military and they came back, but they stayed there, worked there, and they're still there. My parents had a little bit more mobility. I have seen significant mobility. And now we're on a cell phone, yeah, a call away from anybody in the world that has access to the same technology. Yeah. That is a significant change. Mm-hmm. And it impacts our behavior and our personal development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely a very, very different world today than it was for our parents or our grandparents, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or (laughs) pre-COVID. Pre-COVID even. Um, So I guess to summarize all of that, how would you define personal development? To me, personal development is an emotional journey that is measured by milestones, good, bad, and indifferent, that are markers that define who you are, establish your values. Many are very difficult to change. They, in essence, they are who you are. Some at the margin can be made, changed. But fundamentally, we are all human. We all always act human. And I'm amazed when people are surprised when you are behaving human. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, what do you feel are the main challenges in um, pers- like personal development? and kind of achieving that for yourself? Having an honest assessment of who you are, accepting that assessment. Um, behavior is incredibly complex. Um, and it's now coalescing in, in a number of very different disciplines are now coming together to take a look at it. And recent research and particularly neuroscience, brain science, psychology have, have discovered incredible things about the human mind, which right now is still the most complex organ in in the universe. We still don't understand it and we're still finding things out. Mm -hmm. But as humans, there's a commonality. Yeah. Genetically and the basic fundamental elements of survival are not unique to any one individual or, or, or culture. 
So you start, in my opinion, is discovering absolutely who you are. Now, in our Dream Smart Academy endeavor, we've developed instruments to baseline what we call your natural behavior. And what we look at differently when in discovering your basic profile, which is different than a lot of other places, once you understand what it is, the basics are not going to change much throughout your life. It's who you are. It defines you. And that's what's cool. So you've got to be very careful to understand and continually learn who you are, but it's a double-edged sword. Your natural behavior is your greatest asset, but it can also be your greatest liability. Yeah. It's figuring that balance, managing them in a way that it's productive and whatever. The other thing that you have to understand, I think, in personal development, that most cultures, Western cultures, are still kind of post-industrial, post-World War II models, which are very linear, very production-oriented, very everybody does the same thing, uniformity and all that. The other thing you have to understand, I believe, in personal development is you're looking for a one-size-fits-you solution. But most of the solutions that are offered are (laughs) one-size-fits-all. Yeah, they definitely are. And there's inherent friction. And that's why most programs don't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do think that sometimes uh, there's financial advice out there that doesn't kind of take all of the potential problems um, around financial security into account and and can somehow just feel it's presented as general advice, but it's very, very specific to people who might already be financially secure um, and want to become more so, or again, the other extreme. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. It, um, and again, there's a finances in any culture that has a strong footprint with the UK. Mm-hmm. We tend to handle it the same way. You know, when you're successful and have money, come see me, I'll help you. But I haven't got time to help you to become successful. So if you happen to stumble into it, give me a call yeah. and I'll give you the stuff you need to maintain it. Yeah. The, the problem I have is, and I was a, fin- a a licensed financial advisor for a number of years, had hundreds of clients and done a lot of speaking and also did a lot of work in the, in the, per- in the financial literacy field. And I got very frustrated. Um, if you do a an online search under financial literacy books or financial planning, I think there's something like 35 million books. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They also basically the same thing. And they're all basically a one-size-fits-all approach. But if you follow my approach, because I'm guru A, and I'm famous talking head B, my approach is better because, well, it worked for me, but I'm not mm-hmm. you. And that's what we're missing, I think, in the solution for personal growth and personal development is there are a lot of programs out there and it could be money, it could be relationships or whatever that are, it's very good information. It is technically correct, but it is appropriate and suited for you. That's the question. And as the consumer of information, you have to know enough about yourself, how you're naturally wired so you can pick and choose what is in fact appropriate for you from a behavioral point of view. Mm-hmm. And nobody's doing that. So that's what the quest that we're on to get people to understand that humans aren't hardwired to work well with money. Mm-hmm. Success with money is about understanding and managing your behavior than your money. And nobody's talking about that. Yeah. How kind of um, do you feel that 
how do you feel that financial security affects our personal development? I know you've touched on that quite a bit already. Yeah, it's um, it's a very human condition. Um, you know, if you understand Maslow's hierarchy, you know, and when things get really rough, you know, you really get concerned about eating on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I understand that whole approach, but financial security we put financial in front of it. It's really just security, which is a natural human instinct. We are wired, as I said earlier in the interview, our brains are wired to keep us alive and our brains will do things non-consciously in milliseconds to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, money is, is, is a very human construct to facilitate trade, to help achieve security. And in most Western cultures, we equate security and wealth, which is a misnomer. There's mm -hmm. very little relationship between the two. I said earlier that financial security is a, is a mental state. It means things are in balance. It's holistic. It means your, your, your psychological wellness, your physical wellness, your mental wellness, and then you have the, the means to sustain that, which in most cases requires money. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's out of balance, you can fall into the trap that money becomes an end in itself, which is a meaningless endeavor in my point, because you'll never get there. Yeah. yeah. And often um, it's, it's very easy to fall into the trap that you're just, just chasing your tail, if you will. And the enablers are social media, influencers, the rich, the famous, going to be whatever's every culture's got them. Uh, and, and you can get, fall into that 24 seven as, as opposed to what I believe, which is important is you have to go back and benchmark who you are. And in the second half of the book, when I talk about the, the money behavior system, that's what I get into there is how do you go through the drill or the path of self-discovery so you can determine what it's going to take to give you the peace of mind and the emotional stability and maturity to make it happen. Yeah, it's definitely a two-way. It's 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 not an easy process is what it sounds like. Um, how would you define, I mean, I, again, you've already defined financial security in your previous answer, but to summarize all of that, how would you quickly define it? Uh, financial security, it's, it's, it's a balance. It's a balance of taking care of your physical, emotional, and psychological needs and they're balanced in such a way that neither is in excess or in uh, it's not enough. Mm. I know people that have a lot of money, but they're emotional basket cases. I know people that are very serene emotionally, but you look around and everything's falling apart. So again, I go back, it's a, it's a self-discovery process of determining what's important to you individually, but then also your immediate network. For most yeah. people, it's your family. That's the first ring. Then your peer group, next group. And then, then, is the value, then it expands from there. But not only are, are you doing the things necessary to be emotionally secure, which takes money in a modern culture. I mean, we could go back a couple thousand years. We could count goats. We could count camels. We could count donkeys. The bottom line is it takes something to not only achieve that, but sustain it. In our culture, it's money better defined as wealth because mm -hmm. money and wealth are two different things. Yeah. So it's a constant effort of 
introspect of taking a look at yourself, understanding what's important to you and being very honest. Are you on the path to achieve that, but still have the balance psychologically, emotionally, physically, and those around you? That's kind of a long answer to say, it's up to you. It's a very (laughs) well-rounded answer. (laughs) Um, Now that we know what financial security is, um, the kind of elephant in the room is COVID-19 and that's yes. affected financial security for a lot of people. Absolutely. What is what is the impact um, that the pandemic has had and potentially is continuing to have on it? I, I think um, the pandemic is a, is a benchmark. It's a cultural benchmark. It's a social benchmark. It's an emotional ben- benchmark. It's going to be the thing that you're going to be telling your grandchildren about and it's going to be carrying on multi-generation. It is that significant. Um, it immediately challenged everybody's definition of work. Mm-hmm. It defined and challenged everybody's definition of security. It challenged everybody's definition and belief in established institutions, political, mm-hmm. corporate, social, It also challenged our interpretation of relationships. And it also brought to the surface natural behavior in people, organizations, and institutions that we hadn't seen because it'd been stressed to a level that for the last 10 or 20 years, there was no mechanism to add that stress. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, COVID's a game changer. It's what we do with it that makes a difference. And what can we do with it um, to enhance our financial security over the pandemic? Well, I, I think number one is, is you have to embrace. Um, there's a, there's an, an interest, a couple of interesting models on change. Change is inevitable. It's going to happen, whether we like it or not. It happens at warp speed. I believe that in any organization or population, probably 80 to 90% of the folks are totally dedicated to defending the status quo, even though they don't know what it is. Yeah. (laughs) And being comfort. And that's a natural human instinct. As animals, we're we're herders. We're comfortable being like everybody else and the safest places in the middle of the pack. It's dangerous out there. It's lonely. Um, You can be, be eaten by bad things. So the, the COVID started poking holes in our non-conscious construct of what safety, security, family, work, and whatever, what that construct was. And we thought this thing is going to be a long weekend, you know, hey, no work, (laughs) you know, and it'll be over in 10 days. Uh, Well, two years later, and, and we've had fundamental changes. Now, on the on the negative side, uh, I, I think it's it showed some cultural holes. It showed some process holes, and it. But and always remember that everything we've seen is very natural human behavior. Yeah. And this way, as a behavioral guy, I've had a ball watching this thing. I've watched it unfold and the behaviors and how people are reacting. And you know, when you're, you know, I'm a triathlete and runner and do marathons and things. And I thought it's fascinating when you're out there and you see people by yourself and they've got four masks on and a bag over their head. And you're going, this doesn't make any sense. But on the other hand, uh, where I live, there are people around here that are still in denial that we even had an issue. So 
it's 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 fascinating that human dynamic. And and even even within families, people that are close to each other, a very very different perspective, and that to me amplifies that we're all unique at the most basic core level. And that's why it's so important to understand who you are at that level. What makes you tick? Now, when we're talking COVID, one of the first things I would say is technology is a game changer. We're doing things now, and this is an example of the technology that didn't exist. We could not have done this two years ago. Or we could have tried, but it would have been very chunky and it wouldn't work well and we'd be very frustrated. So technology is a driver. But technology has always been a driver in all of all modern cultures. Instead of fighting the progress, you have to embrace it. Uh, I would say that the definition of work is fundamentally changed. I guarantee it. You're doing things right now that you didn't think you were going to be doing two years ago. Yeah. With stuff you didn't even know how to operate two years ago. <laughs> Talking to people in places you didn't know existed two years ago. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so, so here we are. And it's, and it's, again, it, it goes back to your basic wiring. If you're fundamentally wired as a, as a negative person, sky is falling, you look at this as a negative. If you're more like me, which is a naive optimist, remember me and Don Quixote chasing windmills, <laughs> yeah. I believe yeah. it's going to be okay. I'm always a half, you know, I'm looking for the opportunity. So the first thing I would say with COVID, it's here. Mm. Yeah, I can't fix it. You got to deal with it. And every culture is doing a little bit differently, but you do have choices. You can ignore it. You can hold your nose and tolerate it, or you can go with a flow. That's a personal choice. And there are consequences for each one of those. And you have to be prepared for that. Then with COVID, I think it's look for the opportunity. I think you're looking for the opportunity in COVID. You're doing something right now that's magnificent that wasn't possible a while ago. And it's really, really cool. But I bet there are people that are talking to you going, you're out of your mind. Why are you going to do this? When are you going to yeah. get a real job? You know, are you going to go back to what you were doing? It goes on and on and on like that. When in reality, it's going to be different, but it's always been different. And that's what we have to go back and look at. And the continuum of human history, it's this has happened a lot. It's been in manifest differently, you know, plague, war, pestilence. I mean... The, the biggest change for most of us right now is because we're so good at this. Longevity is significantly greater. Technology is much better. The odds of surviving yeah. the mess Something like is this. greater. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you've got greater opportunities to leverage who you are. The other thing I, I tell everybody that has gone through the pandemic, if you haven't figured it out yet, you are self-employed. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you are. I don't care what your profession is. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care where you work. I don't care how you get paid. You are self-employed, which means you've got to look at yourself as the CEO of you, your corporation, you, and you're accountable and responsible for everything that happens and does not happen. And I don't care if you're exchanging your time and effort in human capital with a very secure government job or you're out there as an entrepreneur, you're still self-employed. Because something can happen today in a millisecond on the other side of the world that could change your world by tomorrow morning. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we're and all we, living in fear of that right now. Yeah. It's been constant since the start of 2020, but it hasn't stopped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, some crazy guy's trying to blow up Europe. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, whoever saw that coming? 
Yeah. And your generation, uh, we've got an entire generation of folks that have never seen interest rates, have never seen inflation. Everything has always been pretty good. And now the bottom's falling out of this thing. And, you know, if your parents or grandparents are still alive, they remember back when what was, well, it was kind of always like this. You know, they're, they're, your grandparents, definitely great-grandparents, they're worrying about the Japanese coming over the island near No Guinea. And, and that was a whole different dynamic. So um, the more it changes, the more it's the same. And I keep going back to the point that it comes to, to survive COVID, First, you've got to accept it. I mean, you know, the 12 steps of denial and grief and all that. It's the same thing with this. Hey, you're here. I survived it. Now what? What are you going to do? What are your talents? What are you good at? How are you wired? How are you going to redefine who you are so you can be productive in the new economy? It's going to be different, but not that different. Yeah. I think they're going to say things that we used to do a lot. Now, personally, I wouldn't like to be in the building, the business of owning large commercial businesses and large metropolitan areas that nobody wants to go to anymore. That could be a challenge. It's a little stress. But on the other hand, when somebody like yourself with a modest investment can have an international reach to talk about very, very important uh, subjects to people around the world with a common interest and get paid for that, that's freaking amazing. That's the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Everybody's self-employed. Embrace it. I, it's, I feel like everyone, regardless of their kind of socioeconomic background, is going through a transitionary phase um, over the past few years. And I think especially because a lot of the people who might have been in maybe lower income jobs, those yes. are the ones they were more likely to lose. Um, and so they've kind of been forced to find new ways of getting what they need. Again, that is that what we're talking about. It's called in, in economics, we call it structural transformation. Mm-hmm. Normally structural transformation takes years to happen, eons sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we had it condensed into really 18 months. And, and we're not done yet. We're, I say the last six months was trying to go in, is it over? I don't know. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what, what am I going to do next? Okay. But first thing I want to do is I got to go to a pub. I want to see from friends and I want to buy a new t-shirt. Okay. Got that. That's done. Now what? So it's not unique. This is a very, very human response to a very human problem. The difference being is it's been worldwide and we can watch it real time on a phone. That is unique. So as humans, we process that and naturally in the our, our very powerful feeling brain who wants to keep us alive, the the sensors go out and we start pumping adrenaline and dopamine and all those crazy things and we get concerned. And depending on how you're wired, you know, you either brick yourself into your house with two masks or you go to the outback or you go, it's not going to do me, I am Superman. But you have some way of coping. I'm not going to say good, better, and different, but that's that's your way of doing it. And it goes back again to that we're all unique. It's a one size fits you approach. Where I think we got into trouble with the COVID was the one five size fits all solution that usually worked on paper for a very supposedly smart group of people in control in centralized places who didn't know what was going on any better than you and me. Okay, life is messy. 
sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. But as humans, we're not good with the numbers. The statistics, most people, if anything, the statistics, and if you really got into them, the odds of surviving COVID were really very, very good. And they still are on a numbers basis, statistically. But the way they were presented, it's called framing. The way the problem was framed, we're all going to die tomorrow, miserably, because I saw it on the news. Uh, And, you know, there's some reporter in a hazmat suit, you know, interviewing people that are miserable. And, you know, if you don't do this, it's going to happen to you next. And our brains are such that we process this information very emotionally. We're not the rational beings that everybody assumes we are. We are emotional beings who think we are not thinking beings with emotions. Yeah. And we've got to keep that straight, you know, uh, or to put it in a Star Star Trek metaphor, uh, we're all Scotty. We're not Spock. I, I didn't, I've never seen Star Trek, but I do understand that reference. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not a big fan, but it, but you know what I mean there. I mean, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. I, I'm sure there I are going to be some fans on this, some Star Trek fans. <laughs> this, so <laughs> you'll reach you'll reach your target audience. I think there you go. One. Well, there's some of them out there. Fine, you know, <laughs> live fine and prosper, or whatever it is. Um, so what we're looking at is is COVID. COVID, in my opinion, is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's embrace the reality of where you are, who you are, and what you're doing. Take an inventory of who you are. Determine what is important. Um, find where the, the deficiencies are only not only professionally and personally for self-improvement, but also the tools to make it better. Accept the fact that you are accountable and responsible for most of your own outcome. The things you can't fix or impact don't dwell on that. Dwell on the things you do have control over. In most cases, it's you and your behavior. And that also falls into the money piece. So it goes back to what I said very early. We believe right now that it's very important to benchmark who you are, your natural behavior. And those are the instruments we've developed. And it's much deeper than Myers-Briggs or DISC or something like that. We think that is much more situational. We want to dig down and figure out what makes you tick determine your profile, and then again, determine, okay, based on that, I need to move in this direction. Mm-hmm. And it may be uncomfortable because I may be the only person standing over there until a couple of other people show up and go, hey, wait, I'm kind of like you. Yeah. But then focus on a one-size-fits-you approach as opposed to one that fits the masses, which is one-size-fits-all, which is usually destined for failure for a significant group of that population. Mm. Yeah. Uh- Finding your own path, I think, is the most critical here. The takeaway <laughs> from this segment. Absolutely. Um, so now in order to find that, we might move into kind of the practice slash habit section of yes. this podcast in which you kind of discuss one or maybe more practices um, that kind of help um, with this topic. So to start off, what is, I guess, a practice that you do in order to improve? Yeah, the, uh, what I follow is, I call it the money behavior system. And this is a model that I developed myself after making a lot of really stupid mistakes, personally, professionally, and with money, of which my wife categorizes. And she has a catalog and brings to my attention every now and then I sell all the money for some of my dumb decisions. Yeah. But, but it starts with, a rejection of the traditional 
approach to money, which again is all product driven, process driven, and it tends to be very one dimensional. And it moves to a behavioral approach and it starts with what I call money values. And I do this with all my spending and I do this every day and it's non-conscious. What I mean by money values are what's important about money to you? And it's different than goals. It's a value discussion. And it, what means what it means, if I don't achieve this, emotionally, I'm going to have issues at some point. And it's usually not that I get the right car or they're out of this at the store or that they change the styles. No, those are little V. Big V values usually are family, legacy, security, the, the important things to life. And, and I would say, and it's, it's a tragic example, but the folks in Ukraine are going through that right now. Mm-hmm. Ukraine was a fairly affluent European country with a lot of smart people making pretty good money, and now they got nothing. Mm. So what truly is value to them? And you watch the films, and it's family. It's being happy to be here today. It's giving back. It's community. Mm-hmm. Now, the question I ask when you're talking about values, because this can sound very mushy to a lot of people. <laughs> you know, you may tell me that you want to, you know, so make a lot of money and support an orphanage someplace because you want to give back. And that's my great driving value. And I say, okay, that's fine. And I don't judge. Whatever's important to you about money is important to you, not me. Mm-hmm. But then I say, show me how you spend your time. I want to see your calendar. And show me a bank statement because where you put your time and how you spend your money codifies your values. So you may tell me you want to support that orphanage, but I look at it, it's really eating out and buying clothes. Mm -hmm. Fine. I can show you how to do that, (laughs) but you're probably not going to get most. So you've got to be very honest. And as humans, we tend to be very short-term focused. Yeah. But your values, your money values are the driving force. Number two is what's your money temperament? How are you naturally wired with money? And I don't care what it is either. Are you a spender or saver, for example? Are you risk tolerant, risk adverse? Are you a maximizer or sufficer? In traditional financial literacy, we tend to want to make everybody to be just like a financial advisor. I found working with hundreds, maybe thousands of people, the most people don't want to be a financial advisor. They just want to be emotionally secure at some point. So if you are a spender, that's fine, but you need to know that. And also realizing that the people that you're close to probably have a different money temperament than you. And that's sometimes leads to conflict. Then you need to know what I call your money knowledge. Money knowledge is not technical knowledge, but how do you process information? You visual learner, auditory learner, tactile learner, because when you're making a consequential spending decision, usually it's a house, car, something significant that's going to be paid for a long time. And if you you get it wrong, it's going to screw a whole bunch of things up. Of course. Yeah. So make sure you're getting the information in a way that works for you. Unfortunately, in the money game, Everybody in the money game tends to be very analytical. They like this stuff, but they're working with people that hates this stuff. So when you go in and you're signing the paperwork and you're looking at the things, if you're a visual person, you want pictures and graphs and colors, not 19 spreadsheets. So it's imperative that one, you understand your values, two, you understand how you your relationship with money, natural behavior with money, money temperament, then make sure in a consequential decision, you're getting the information the way you'd like to process it. And don't be afraid to stand up and say, stop. I know you're the expert, 
but this is the way I process information. Give me a picture. Let me feel it. I'm going to take it home and play with it. Then you build your strategy that is value-driven, accommodates your natural money temperament. Is The information is presented in a way you can understand it. Then you build your action plan. And I have found, and I started working with my clients with this when I, after I got very, very frustrated with the traditional financial approach, which is all product driven, that once I started saying, wait, let's stop for a minute. What's important about this to you? Why do you do this? And often when I was talking to couples, they'd look at each other and go, I had no clue that was important to you. Well, you never asked. Well, it never came up, but this is yeah. really important to me. Well, I think it's stupid. Well, that's a whole different discussion. You know, it's yours. It's emotional. It's part of who you are. It defines who you are. Those are your values. But I know my capabilities and limitations behaviorally. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm weak at. I tend to be driving forward. I knew I hired an assistant who was 180 out for me to keep me out of jail. That was her job. Because she was wired 180 for me, and she was my throttle, my truth teller. And, it, and we worked so well that we shared an office together because it worked very well to do that. And she would look at me and she'd go, that is really stupid. And I go, why? What do you think that? And I'd listen. And I'd say, that's okay. I, take, I respect your opinion, but we're going forward anyhow. And then sometimes she got, a, I told you so, and sometimes I was right. But the bottom line is, comfortable knowing who I am and comfortable who I am. So then you build your strategy that works for you. So in what you're doing right now in launching this podcast, there's something that's very important to you for this. And I guarantee it's more than getting a check. Okay. And your relationship with money is probably different than other people on your team. That's okay. But you need to know that. And then you probably process information probably differently than the engineer that's putting this thing together. Okay. Yeah. Jerry is very different from me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So when you bring the strategy together is to accommodate all that and mend it together. So you're moving the same direction. So when you have the action plan, it accommodates all this and you've got a higher probability to be successful. Now, are you going to do this when you stop for petrol and you're going and grab something to drink and, yeah. You know, you, you spend a little bit of money. No, not a big deal. But in consequential decisions, what I tell people, you've got to move from your feeling brain to your thinking brain. Your feeling brain is your default. It's where you're most comfortable. It's fast. It's automatic. It's emotional. It's loaded with dopamine and all those other great drugs or chemicals. <laughs> and it makes you act impulsively, but it keeps you alive. Yeah. Your, your thinking brain is your modern brain, your frontal cortex, which is is on purpose and analytical and, and we're uncomfortable there because it takes a lot of energy. And it's like, you've got to force yourself to do your taxes. You've got to force, force yourself to read the spreadsheets and the prospectus because that's not where you want to be for most people. So you've got to understand that relationship. And then you've got to have a strategy to move forward to bring that all together on a one size fits you approach because you're in charge of you. <laughs> Definitely just kind of, the key points are kind of understanding yourself critically. Absolutely. That's where it starts. And sticking sticking to your guns, even if you're wrong, <laughs> and acknowledging when you are. <laughs> yeah, and that can be very uncomfortable. That can be mm -hmm. very uncomfortable because of humans, a lot of people don't like that. Mm. And there's some very, very interesting studies on 
that whole thing with confirm, confirmation bias and sticking out in the crowd and all that. Mm-hmm. But that's why I think you've got to sit down and do the analysis, particularly something that's consequential. The value, if it's going to cost money, values drive everything. Values are a cultural entity. They drive your culture. They drive everything you're doing, what you wear, how you act, how you talk, who you hang out with. Values are huge. We don't talk about that money. We talk about goals. Goals are different, but goals are value driven. But it's the value that drives the goal. The goal doesn't drive the value. Then we've got to say, okay, how are you naturally wired with money? I need to know. I don't care what it is, but we need to know because I, as an advisor, my job would be to design a program that works for you Mm -hmm. based on it's going to draw, it's going to support your values. It's going to be suited to your temperament. It's going to be presented in a way that you can understand it. The strategy will incorporate all that. Then you go out and pick the tools to make it happen. And I can tell you a lot of cases where I've seen financial plans or, or in a lot of different endeavors that the strategy was right on technically correct, but absolutely inappropriate for the person who had it. Yeah. Because there's no way they were ever going to be able to execute it successfully. It's yeah. different than diet, diet and exercise. Same yeah, that thing. is very true. It's it's all about finding um, your own personal recipe in a Absolutely. way. Yeah. And if, if you can find a good coach or somebody that can mentor you through that process, it's probably going to be more successful, particularly the more consequential the decision. And I guess in this practice of you know, assessing your own values and creating your plan based on that. What are three good things you would say about that? Of doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, number one, it, 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 it forces you to sit down to define what truly is important to you. We don't generally do that. I mean, really have that discussion with yourself and it can become kind of painful. And, and we also tend to have a habit to be very judgmental. Mm -hmm. you know, especially if ourselves, (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. Or what will others think? Or what will society think? Or it's nuts that I want to do this. And no, but, but you have to, and that, and it's not something that necessarily happens very quickly. Sometimes it's a very incremental process that before you finally get to the point where you go, I'm really, I really understand myself. I'm comfortable with myself. This is what truly is important to me. This is my value set. Now I'm on the path to make it happen. And I'm not going to deviate because I've clarified that. That, in my opinion, is probably the toughest thing to do, but it's critical and it's the starting point. Then it's understanding who you are. What is your natural behavior? How are you naturally wired? I don't care what it is, but, but are you an extrovert, introvert? Uh, what's your communication style? What's your risk tolerance? How do you how do you like to interact with people? How do you work in a crowd? That's your natural behavior. And instead of getting fixated and trying to fix that, accept who you are and figure out how you can use that to enhance where you want to go and compensate for your deficiencies by either outsourcing it, forgetting about it, or just you know holding your nose and say, I got to learn how to do this for a while. And then finally, Understand that money is a subset of your natural behavior. We call these your superpowers. Your superpowers, your natural superpowers, your natural behavior. It's who you are. Your your money temperament is a subset of your natural behavior. And it's just your natural reaction and relationship with money. 
but it's all about behavior. So the last thing is remember that humans are not hardwired to work well with money. It's not a higher priority. It really isn't. So we do it poorly in most cases. So we have to understand that success with money is understanding who you are, your money temperament, managing your behavior, then your money. But in most wealth, uh, uh, Western cultures, it's manage your money and we don't even worry about the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the big three. Values. Who are you? How do you work with money? So in terms of, I guess, this practice, what are the challenges that people typically come across when trying to implement this in their lives? Uh, the biggest is nobody's ever heard of it because mm. the traditional approach is so different. Mm -hmm. But the way I explain it um, is, again, I've, I've been a long course endurance athlete for years. And the more involved you get, the more you need coaching, not less. And I find it fascinating when I talk to people and they're comfortable having a diet coach, an exercise coach, a wellness coach, a relationship coach, a good friend, you know, but when we talk money, nope. Yeah. It's either, well, we don't talk about money in our culture or I'm going to do it myself or how hard can it be? I took a course in school and it's just ridiculous the same behavior that works in all those other elements in our life that are critical to our success and our financial and emotional well-being, it also applies to money. Money is nothing more than a conduit to facilitate our lifestyle. It just makes it easier than carrying around chickens. <laughs> Definitely easier than carrying, across ch carrying around chickens for sure. Way more manageable. <laughs> uh how often should we uh, practice kind of assessing these values? Is it kind of um, something that we need to continually do and continually reevaluate? Yeah, I think it's, it becomes a lifetime event. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, there's a, a, a famous uh, entrepreneur executive in the United States. His name is J. Alexander Martin. He's one of the founders of the FUBU Corporation and started the urban uh fashion line back in the nineties. And now they're going, they're doing very well. They, it, he made a boatload of money very young and he spent it. He spent about $8 million us in about nine years. Oh my and, goodness. And, and that was a 1990 <laughs> money. So, I mean, that was, that was an effort to go do that, but he did it and he did everything you'd expect somebody in their late twenties, early thirties to do with that kind of money doing stupid things. And he read my first book and he called me up and he said, we need to talk through this. And I, I walked him through the model, the money behavior system, and we got him to clarify his values. And what I found was initially he was not living his values. He grew up in a very traditional middle class, actually upper middle class families. His mom was an entrepreneur. His dad was an executive in a financial firm. He, he didn't grow up in the streets. And, and uh, he finally said, I was living the lifestyle of celebrity that I thought everybody expected me to live. Right. Yeah. And he, and he had a money mindset, not a wealth mindset. Mm -hmm. So we sat down and we defined his values. And once we went through this and we got, and he would call me and say, I can't believe it. You've changed the way I think about things. Because before you used to go and you wouldn't think of anything 
about dropping a significant amount of money to buy a watch or a car or a house or crazy things and then regret it. Now he's got a wealth mindset. And as a result, now he's reinvented his company and they're building a very aggressive multinational reinvention of FUBU. So the answer is you have to make it part of your life. In my opinion, the money behavior system is important is as important as a diet ritual, a a physical fitness ritual. I mean, I've been doing long. I've been an athlete all my life. I ran a half marathon last week. Okay, um, I'll never stop. That's part of who I am because it's part of my whole program. I still read. I still do all those types of things. That's who I am. But I also carry that over to money. So, I what what it, top of mind. I know twenty four seven that I'm human, and I always do, will do stupid human things with money. What I have learned that in situations where I am apt to do dumb things, I do proactive things to stop that. For example, if you ever run into a supermarket to buy something small, yeah, fill your cart with a lot of stuff you didn't want, yeah. <laughs> okay. So That's many times. human nature. We yeah. do that all the time. So if I know I have the propensity to do that, I'm going to do something very different, like make a list. Uh, and instead of going, at least in the United States, most supermarkets are set up that people go on the right-hand door, turn to the right, and you go counterclockwise around the store. Yeah, that's generally how it tends to work in Australia as well. And Oh, the sales is always sweet treats. Absolutely. On sale. absolutely. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a, a two hints that are going to save you a fortune. One is make a list, but you may want to do that. Instead, go on the left hand door and go left instead of right. Right. It's just a counter. It's just a counter to the, it breaks it. The other thing to realize is during consequential decisions, you have to stop and force yourself from your feeling brain to your thinking brain. Mm -hmm. um, cars are a great example. Uh, it's so easy to add an extra thousands and thousands of yeah, and add-ons <laughs> that you don't need. They're probably duplicated on your phone anyhow. And before you walk out, you've got an automobile that costs more than your parents' house. It's easy to do. Where what I'm saying is know the difference between normal spending, emotional spending. Okay. Realize that 95 to 99% of all of our spending is non-conscious, automatic, and emotional. And in most cases, it doesn't matter because it's small stuff. But if you're, for example, spending, if you buy two cups of gourmet coffee a day, at the end of the year, that's a significant amount of money. And at the end of a lifetime, that's a small fortune. Now, I'm not going to say be nuts and do that and don't regret it, but you need to understand how it works and the consequences and be true to your values. If you're true to your values, it's going to work. And then have what I call, it's just a situational awareness. If you're walking into a mall, or even if you're going on a high-end store, uh, online site, realize that whole thing is wired to separate you from your money. And they're incredibly good at it. So if it says you know, it's all designer wear, you know, from Europe and the prices start more than you made last week, you shouldn't be surprised that you can spend a fortune there. Okay. Yeah. So there's some things you can do there also. Uh, I'm not saying go and do it because most shopping is actually entertainment, 
but you leave your credit cards and your wallet in your car locked in the boot. And if you really want to get something, they'll hold it for you. Take a little bit of cash with you and, and then walk back and get your yeah. checkbook, debit card, credit card, and go back and buy it. You'll be amazed how much money you can save doing that. So it's it's things like that. It's It's understanding that I don't spend a lot of money on frivolous stuff, but I'm really good at spending money on expensive stuff. And usually when I figure it out, I'm going, I really didn't need this. So why do I have this? Mm-hmm. That's just the way I'm wired. So I do things to prevent that and make it make it difficult for me to get into those circumstances. That's the situ- situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Also realize that retail sales are masters in neural marketing. Economics and finance have not caught up with them. So everything we're trying to teach you and what I'm talking about here about behavior and neuromarketing and behavioral economics and how we spend and behavioral financial wellness, the retailers have already figured it out. Yeah, definitely. You know? So when you walk into the mall, if they still have them, uh, the colors, the sounds, the smells are all designed to do one thing, to put you in a very comfortable place spending money. And as I talk about in the book, because I have a lot of stories about going back and spending in a mall, the decision to go to the mall was non-consciously a decision to spend money. You just haven't gotten there yet. You haven't figured out how yeah. much you're going to spend. Yeah. And it's almost worse online because you do it instantaneously. Mm. It's so easy to just open up your favorite shopping website and <laughs> browse through. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and they know you better than you. Oh, they do. And they know you looked at this one item, you know, two months ago. Now it's following you around for the next nine months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely so, being there. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's people being people with money. It's people being people. I guarantee it. 2,000 years ago, same problem, mm-hmm. different issue, different technology, shorter lifespan, okay, but fundamentally the same problem as humans. So my question to you is, why wouldn't you want to have a model that's going to align you with a modern economy in the digital age post-COVID as opposed to business as usual that was designed for an economy that went away in the 1960s? Yeah, I think it's definitely time for an update on spending um, and my financial management since then. Um, I, you mentioned, you know, uh, that money management should be yes. the same as having an exercise plan um, or a physical training plan or a diet plan. Um, things like that, they tend to have like, you know, certain times and days that people can kind of work on those. Does money right. management work in the same way? I think it does, but it has to work for you. Um, I think initially the goal at first is, is, is humans repetition builds habit. Mm -hmm. So you've got to put the time into it and it takes a little while to get it become part of you. Um, Most people don't start doing long course triathlons and and marathons out of the box. You got to work into it, but once you get into it, it becomes part of your lifestyle. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that in that level of discipline, but now it's just part of my life. So you've got to do the same thing. And what I'm saying is you need a money awareness. You need to have a behavioral focus. I call it behavioral financial wellness. Behavioral financial wellness is realizing it's holistic. It's emotional. It's value driven. It includes you, the people you are most concerned about, and it, it becomes part of your life, just like eating well, just like exercise. Mm-hmm. 
So initially, you're going to might have to put a little effort into it. Now, that's why I wrote the book, because there's not a lot of effort in that book. It's not a technical book. I don't talk about products or stock markets or stuff. I talk about people making stories and spending money, and you are doing that. And it's really getting your head around the fact that, number one, this is how you behave with money. Number two, you've got to decide, is this okay? Okay, is there anything here that's a little dysfunctional, out of whack? And then what are some proactive things you can do to get that under control? And then if you've got the mantra of what's important about money to me, so you're in a spending situation, what's important about this to me? What's important about this to me? That to me becomes the driver that makes it real mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, everybody's got one. No. <laughs> I mean, people ask me all the time, what do I drive? I drive a, now it's a 12 year old SUV with 150 US miles on it. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. And people go, oh, I can't believe you do that. Well, what, what, what should I drive? Because I don't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, I know like in the US cars are really important, but here, like if you live in inner cities in Australia or even in Europe, we probably got listeners in Europe um, at some point, um, cars are not as important over there. It's very difficult to navigate some of the urban spaces when you have a car. So it's about evaluating whether you even need one in the first place. Yeah. And and that's a, that's a definitely um, US cultural point. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because this place is just so big. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, it's like, like driving about, you know, across Australia. Australia is a big place. Oh, yeah. And there's some, there's some places in the middle you don't want to be there without a car. Absolutely. Uh, but but in, in populating the United States, the West Coast in particular, California, was built around the automobile. So that's part of the culture, which makes it very difficult to wean yourself from that. And we're trying to do it now. With the move towards you know smaller cars, hybrids, EVs, and all that, it's going to be interesting to watch that food fight. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely see how that one goes. It's definitely a changing time, especially everything. Everything is changing so much. I think at this stage in time, um, in terms of um, how do you feel like uh, this practice of you know reevaluating your money um, and kind of asking yourself what is important about every purchase. How does this affect your personal development and your perception of life in general? Well, again, I, I think what, what it, and again, it's all based on values. If you, if you take the time to codify your values, values are what is important to you, fill in the blank. Then it all comes together because I want to have a certain well-being. I want to have a certain lifestyle. I want to have a certain existence and peace of mind, which requires behavioral financial wellness, which is holistic. I need to have, my head has to be in the right place. I need to be physically fit. I need to eat well. I need to do all that. It all comes together. I mean, I can't think of anything more pathetic than you kill yourself on the way out. You make a lot of money and you can't use it. That doesn't make any sense. So in essence, what it, what it comes down to is money is not separated from you. Money is an extension of you because it facilitates you. And that's how we do it in our culture. Before it was barter, it was exchange, it was exchanging subsistence for labor. (laughs) Yeah, chicken. And and it's really hard to make change with a chicken. So never forget that. Chicken doesn't like it and it's really messy. But the, the, the point being is that 
if you take the time to see what makes you who you are, this, this is why behavioral financial wellness is so different than financial literacy. Financial literacy is linear. It's about stuff and it doesn't take into consideration natural behavior or money temperament. Behavioral financial wellness is based on natural behavior and money temperament. So it is much more stable. And since you're following a one size fits you all approach, I don't care if you want to own a building in Sydney or you want to live someplace, you know, in, a, in an SUV in the middle of the outback someplace, that's your choice, but you need to figure out how to make it happen. And if that is satisfying you, you have what is called behavioral financial wellness because everything's aligned and you're comfortable who you are, where you're going and how you're going to do it. You have a plan. The plan fits your values and it moves to where you're going. And I can tell just by talking to you, you're doing it with this adventure. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? I mean, you just didn't walk off the street and said, you know, I'm going to start a podcast. Let's call <laughs> yeah. Ted. I think he's in the States. He might be available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, try new things. Um, would you kind of, I mean, you kind of touched on this already, but would you recommend this this kind of to everyone is this is this you said it's a one size fits you but is you everyone (laughs) if that makes sense i I believe so i mean obviously there are people at the extreme i i'm just i I try to talk to if you spend money it's appropriate yeah now obviously there's a there's a continuum (laughs) you know if you got nothing it may not be as important but in some cases it's more important yeah if you got a lot I, it's important, but it's important differently. So I'm of the belief that if you're a participant in a modern economy and you have all the trappings that go along with it and you don't live on a subsistence ranch raising sheep someplace, um, yeah, this is a good fit. And it also carries over to most everything in your life. And this is where I go back. You ask me, who do I believe in? You know, Marcus Aurelius, he says, know yourself, you know, be directed. And it's the same thing here. It's be true to yourself. I mean, and, and realize you don't know what you don't know, but if you're moving in the right directions for the right reasons, I don't know where you're going to end up, but the journey is going to be a lot more manageable. And that's really what I'm seeing. I worked with so many people that are making a lot of money and they're absolutely basket cases and miserable, you know, you know, and it, and I know people that are, have very modest incomes and they're magnificent of where they are. What is the difference? Because they've taken the time to codify what's truly important and the things that are coming into their domain are working for them and it's all in balance. So personal development is huge, but here's a, I'm going to throw a rock at most of the coaches and the personal wellness people right now. They never talk about money. I don't know how you're going to talk about well-being personal development without having a discussion about money, but most don't talk about money because they feel they're not qualified. It's not germane. It's anathema to what they're trying to do. No, if you're functioning as an adult in a modern society, you got to talk about money, but why not talk about it in a way that works for you as opposed to I'm going to come back in a very patronizing pontificating way as a financial advisor to tell you what you have to do, you know, this is the orthodox way to do it. And this is the dogma. And you have to have this. And you got to put away 10%. You got to blah, blah. No. Stop. Yeah. Hey, what's important all about this to you? What do you want to have out of this? Well, I'd like to have a podcast and I'd like to be changing people's lives around the world. And it's going to take some money. And if this works over well, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. As opposed to laughing and saying, this is stupid. You go, okay, what do we got to do to make that happen? 
Yeah. What's important about this to you? What do you got to have to make it happen? And let's see what has to happen to facilitate this. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess based on your experience to kind of wrap all of this up, do you have any kind of recommendations of something else that you can combine with this kind of money management in order to improve this particular practice? You mentioned earlier that like physical and mental wellness is also a big part of it. Yeah, I I think diet and exercise, <laughs> you know, I don't think you can separate them. Uh, I think if you're in balance, uh, it, it makes such a difference. I mean, if you've got crazy dietary habits and, and you can't get off the couch, um, a lot of the things I'm talking about aren't going to make an awful lot of sense. So it, it becomes, it, again, it's holistic. It's a total alignment. You cannot talk about personal development. I believe, well, I had a, had a program for a long time. I call it uh, physical fitness, one with an F and one with a P, where we, we talk to people about their money programs and generating wealth, but also in terms of you need to get your physical self in shape and you need to get healthy. And there's some other things you can do here because you're going to have a better quality of life. Uh, the other thing is uh, continual improvement. Uh, you're constantly learning. You're constantly putting good stuff in. Um, you have good, solid relationships. You have people that care about you. So that's the community piece. And again, I go back to the problem I have with the financial community. We look at finance as this independent thing over here on the side where only you're all of a sudden you're going to be rational and you got all this stuff and you know, all the cool people over there, but nobody can talk to them because they understand what they're talking about. And, you know, and, it, and it's all about glitz and glamour, that social media, when in reality that has little to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, to kind of close things off, um, this is the open mic segment where you get to talk about whatever topic you're passionate about or something that you might be working on that might not necessarily be relevant to financial security, but can be if you want it to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, if you listen to the whole thing and me carrying on, um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't put I'm them sure in boxes. people have been listening all the way up until yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't put this stuff in independent boxes. I don't think they're mutually exclusive, any of it. Um, a couple of things that we're working on, I, I just finished a half marathon. Uh, I've got a 10 mile race coming up in a couple of weeks. I got to do that. And I'm thinking about doing another triathlon, but we're also, very, very attuned to kicking off uh, Dream Smart Academy, where we're bringing in like-minded people like myself. There are about five of us. We worked together about four or five years to really change the focus of behavior to the benchmark natural behavior. And we're very, very adamant about getting away from tagging the tags that are happening around now that everything's got an adjective and everything's got a, a pronoun in front of it where we've got to get back to the basics, which is humanity and people and understand that we're always going to be people and we're going to do people things. And we've got some really exciting things we're putting together to, to change that dialogue, uh, working with some universities and some young people to make them understand that, People are people are people. Humanity transcends everything. Every place I've been around the world, you get you strip away all the culture and the trappings and all that. You're going one on one. <clears throat> We're more similar than we are different. And that's our passion right now. Now, what's really fascinating is I've got three partners I've worked with for 
three years I've never physically met. And they're, they're oh, like wow. brothers. Yeah. And because of this technology, it would not have happened. We have never physically met and we're ch- freaking changing the world. Um, but that's where we're going. We're talking to some major universities in the U.S. Uh, I've had some really good calls with some people in, in Europe, uh, the U.K., and, and in India. Uh, the book uh, was number five on the recommended reading list in India for entrepreneurs. Wow. Be- because it's a very common sense way of going, hey, why don't you just figure out who you are, be yourself, and move forward? doing something you're passionate about. You're going to be happier in the long run. You're going to be healthier mentally and physically, and you're probably going to be more wealthy. Mm. So what am I working on? Changing the world. One reader at a time, one podcast at a time, one conversation at a time. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely a great goal to have. Uh, That wraps up our show for today. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, It was really, really great to chat to you. I've, I've enjoyed this. This has been wonderful. I wish you all the luck uh, in the world. Uh, we need your voice out there doing this. And <laughs> if, if you're doing this with other people that are like-minded, I think there's hope that we might come out of the end of this thing a lot better off than we came into it. I really hope so as well. You've been listening to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, Search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can also be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.